Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors, and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile, build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus. Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm really excited to have on today's show Jonathan Raymond, who's the founder of Refound. And today we're going to be talking on a couple subjects, but in particular, one of the ones I'm really excited about is uh, leadership, teamwork, and and one of the topics we talked about offline was trickle-down transformation and kind of what exactly that means and how it works and and when it works and when it doesn't. So, Jonathan, thanks so much for being on the call with us today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Sure. So before we jump to Refound and, and of course, your new new book, which people can get now if you go to or pre-order now at refound.com slash good authority, and that's one word, uh, talk to us a little bit about your, like, what, what led you to what you're doing today with Refound? Like, how'd you get there? Sure. Um, you know, I sort of happened on the business coaching consulting world by accident, uh, you know, I was in the wind energy business. I had started a nonprofit teaching kids how to do yoga and meditate in juvenile hall. I was a lawyer. I, w- I did, you know, a lot of things other than uh, be a business coach or a consultant or be in that industry. And uh, I came across the opportunity in uh, 2011 to become the CEO of a company probably a lot of people will recognize by the name of the book uh, of the same name, which was the Emeth um, and the co- a coaching company called Emeth. And uh, it really sparked my curiosity and my imagination for for what what could happen in this space. And it's a really I think it's a really interesting industry, right? Because it's a it's the place where where what's supposed to be happening is people are supposed to figure out how business and life go together, right? And so that's the that's the dream, right? That's the big idea of you know how to create a business that really works for you, that works for the people that work there. Uh, that has the impact that you want to have. So that's the theory. And it doesn't always work out that way. We'll, we'll talk about that. But um, it really intrigued me as a kind of a bridge between really two halves of myself. I mean, I considered myself to be sort of, you know, guy in a suit by day for most of my career doing business development type stuff. And then, you know, consciousness, personal, spiritual seeker by night and on the weekends. And the business coaching and consulting was really a, an opportunity for me, uh, as I would find out later, as we often do in life, uh, that it was an opportunity to bring those two things together. Very cool. And so you had mentioned something offline and not don't know if it's worth pursuing right now, but I'm just curious, you had mentioned um, the E-Myth coaching biz business mm-hmm. that you had. And was this related to the E-Myth Revisited? Like, is there some correlation or is it just? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's the there was a so the book uh, gained popularity and you know that came out the different versions seventies eighties ninety but the book's been around for a really long time, and there was always a coaching company behind the scenes uh, that was delivering a, a coaching product still does to this day um, delivers a coaching product uh, through a network of coaches to to um, try to help people uh, do the things that are talked about in that book. So you know you can imagine lots of phone calls over the years of people calling who had read the book and said, hey, you know that's that's me. Um, or I can relate to that story. Can you help? Uh, and so that was really the foundation of that business for for several decades. Okay, awesome. And and so you were were, were you the founder of this? Or you were part of it, or how did that work? Um, I wasn't. I'm not old enough to be the founder, uh, which okay. is I think a good thing. No, I'm, I'm teasing. But uh, um, 
the company was founded in the late 70s uh, by, by Michael Gerber and a, and a business partner. And there were some other people, key people involved early on. And uh, I came in in 2011. Uh, the owner of the company, the controlling shareholder, was looking to shake things up and, uh, and take the company in a new direction because uh, it had gotten old and it had, you know, it had, it had become uh, you know, really dependent upon the book and really dependent upon sort of the legacy of of the founder who wasn't around anymore. And so he's alive, but he wasn't part of the business. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, you know, I, I became part of a management team that I was leading uh, in the CEO role to, you know, what could be done to change the company, change the culture, uh, change up the product mix. And that's what I that's the project that I started in 2011. Okay, very cool. So, okay, so take us into uh, Refound. Like, I, I guess, you know, if I find Refound, I find you, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what, what's your ideal uh, client here? Like who signs up to work with you and, and why do they come to you? Why do they work with you? Well, at the, at the heart of it, we work with organizations typically in the midsize space or people who are aspiring to get to the midsize space. So, you know, a lot of our clients are in the, you know, on the, on the, in some ways on the lower side, you know, 50 to 30 to 50 employees and then up to, you know, 800 employees. But we also have a, you know, it's, it's an interesting mix because we have, you know, solopreneurs, business coaches, consultants, basically anybody who finds themselves in an authority position. And I want to talk about what I mean by that. But anybody who's in a position of trying to help somebody else grow, that's what we do. We help the helper. You know, we help people who find themselves in mentoring, coaching, consulting relationships, advisory relationships where they're trying to leverage their expertise, their know-how to help somebody else get better at whatever their thing is. And there's an art to doing that. You know, we've all had good mentors, bad mentors, and most pe- mostly people in between. And there's an art to being a good mentor and to, to use what you know in a way that really inspires somebody where they take ownership of changing. So you're not always kind of chasing them and saying, well, you, you know, and, and holding your breath and hoping that they do. And so, you know, we work with helpers of all kinds. So that could be, you know, CEO of a large organization to a business coach with a couple of clients or, you know, a designer who's trying to build a design agency who who finds themselves in the role of advising their clients on, you know, people problems and and mentoring issues, which is, you know, often the case. I'm sure you've, you've, you've had that yourself, right? Where people come to you and they say, you know, here's the situation, what would you do? Awesome. Very cool. And so I guess what have you found like in terms of like common challenges, common struggles that people, uh, and, and this is both through Refound and, and all the other work you've done in this space, in the business space. Yeah. Do you feel that like you've, you come across uh, the same problems again and yeah. again or, or similar problems? Yeah. It's the exact same problem with everyone, myself included. Uh, and it's, uh, I'll try to put it as simply as I can, is yeah. that we don't, we don't know how to hold people accountable with an open heart. We, as managers, as leaders, people, it's what I call, people do either one of two things. One of them is I call spontaneous management combustion, which is basically ignoring the warning signs, ignoring bad behavior, ignoring sloppy mistakes, ignoring the wrong kinds of communication, letting yourself get frustrated for too long, and then either firing somebody or being punitive or basically just being a jerk, right? Because, but the problem isn't the person, the problem is you, you didn't do enough along the way to manage and mentor that person to give them a chance to grow. So that's on the one side. That's the the too tough boss. And on the other side is the too soft, the it's all good, don't worry about it, who never uh, takes any action and lets poor behavior, poor performance drag down other people on the team. And you know, people talk a lot, leaders talk a lot about wanting A players, and I can tell you from my experience of every team I've ever been on and or, and, or ever led, 
the thing that are that a players hate more than anything else is when they have to carry the water for other people when they're on a team where they feel like they're doing the work that they're doing more than their share of the work they're already doing great work they're already you know they have the most talent or they have the most skill and not everybody on the team has to be michael jordan right but everybody's got to play their role and that's what drives a players crazy and that's why they leave is when the people who should be being held accountable aren't so it's the same problem on every team i've ever seen is that there's a, a lack of accountability, which is not the same thing as you need to be tough with your people. It's There's a clear, consistent line right through the middle of how to hold people accountable for changing the things that they need to change in their own self-interest, right? Not in the interest of the business. And so it's the same problem I see. And I, and I've, and I committed the same foul, the same management foul over and over again until I figured out how to fix it. So tell me, how do you actually fix that? Because I do mm-hmm. feel like that is, you know... I, on either end, I'm like, oh man, is that me? Because <laughs> okay, if immediately I'm going to think to myself, well, maybe I I, I show signs or symptoms of of either, mm-hmm. and so how do I know if I'm I really do have signs or symptoms and like it is a problem or or not? And then I guess the second, so one is how do you actually identify this this problem like in mm-hmm. in your own organization or with your own team? And then yep. two, I guess, will be how do you how do you then go about fixing it? Great, great question. So, and I love what you said because I found myself to be a lot of people flip flop between the two. Right. So sometimes you're too tough when you feel like you've been too soft for too long, then you're too tough. Uh, and then when you feel like you've been too tough, you go to too soft and we try to flip flop across the middle and the middle is where we want to be. So I think that's that's more common than than a lot of people realize. But I would say, you know, here's some of the symptoms. Right. So so if you find yourself constantly mediating disputes between two people, if you if you sense that there are sloppy mistakes being made, if people are constantly checking in with you for things that you feel like, hey, they should know how to do this themselves, right? If there's, if people, if every meeting ends up with a call for better communication, right? These are some of the symptoms, which is, you know, pretty much everywhere, every team, every meeting you've ever been on, right? This is the, these are the symptoms that accountability isn't happening in a good way. Is that, is that there's, it's like this squishy, squirrely stuff is happening. Everybody's talking kind of, but nobody's really clear about what the problems are. That's how you know that accountability isn't happening in your culture. Even if your culture is a, you know, a, a one, you, could, you could have a one-person culture, right? You could, you can, if you really take this idea seriously and you're a solopreneur, you can see that in yourself, right? The degree to which you don't hold yourself accountable or you don't have somebody in your life who you can bounce, you know, tough questions off or who says, hey, you know, Tom, did you ever think about it this way? Or, hey, Jonathan, you know, I think you're, you, I think you're oversimplifying this or, or what have you. But in the context of a team, right, that's the easiest place to see it where you you anybody who's ever run a team can relate to this statement is that you see things all the time and you don't do anything about them. You see people, you know, ha- make weird comments, say offhanded things about other people. You, you see the signs all the time and you don't do anything about it. And there's a reason why, because you don't know what to do with the things that you see. Mm. And that's what we teach our, our clients how to do is one, one acknowledging, hey, you see these things all the time. You see the team going sideways, projects taking too long, costs increasing, scope going mad, you know, brand confusion happening, customer experience getting dropped, sloppy mistakes getting made. You see all these things all the time. That's not the problem. The problem is managers don't know what to do with the information that they have at their fingertips. And I know there's not like a, a single answer to that, and hence the the need for consulting and 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 working with you and companies like you. But what are some things that you can take like proactively on your own? Like, 
if I, mm-hmm. if, if we see those, you know, those symptoms or if, if we recognize it in ourselves, then like, I guess what I'm just wondering, like, are there any lessons I can take away that to try to implement like immediately? Yeah, there's, there's a couple, you know, there's a, there's a, for the folks who are on the kind of alternative health side of life, they may have ever, they may have heard this quote in your audience. There's a technique called Feldenkrais, which is a, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with business coaching or consulting, but there's a great quote that the founder of that uh, said, he said, you know, you can't put something down unless you know you're holding it. And the, the, it applies in the business context as a, as a real takeaway, which is if you just start by naming the things you see, that's like half the battle. Right. Most people, they just don't name. And so the example might be something as simple as, hey, um, I noticed that um, you can't, that whenever we have a meeting, you tend to be you tend to come in a couple minutes late. Um, do you notice that? Right. Not as a punishment, not as like, oh, my God, you committed some unforgivable crime. Right. But, hey, did you notice that? Or, you know, I noticed when, uh, you know, Suzanne is talking, I noticed a couple of times that you cut her off in the middle of when she's sharing an idea. Do you notice that you do that? That just raising the awareness of those dynamics is the thing that almost never happens in a team and culture environment, because we think as managers, we're supposed to fix it right? It's not your job to fix it. It's that person's job to fix it. It's your job to name it and be like, hey, did you notice this behavior? Because I noticed it and I want to know if you notice it. Then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we can do. But step one, you know, we, we talk about it. We have a bunch of online courses where we teach these skills. And one of the skills is naming, name it. You could call it naming the elephant, naming the whatever you want to call it, but naming it. And without knowing what the destination is. And I think that's the first most important takeaway is Put it, put a pin in it, right? Say, hey, this just happened. Did you see it happen? Because I saw it happen, and I want to make sure we both saw the same thing. Yeah, that's awesome. That makes sense. And then, as far as like, I guess, because I, I run a remote team, which mm-hmm. has its own trials and tribulations. But I'm sure yeah. there's, uh, I, I, I would assume that even if we were in person, that there'd be, sure, I'm sure similar struggles and stuff like that and challenges. But I'm curious, like, how do you guys do? You work with organizations that are remote a lot, and and does that change the dynamic for you when you're helping these companies kind of communicate better and work better? We do, and there's there's some there's an element of our program, and, and I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about trickle down transformation and this idea, but there's an element of our program that I think is I don't necessarily know that it's unique, but I think the way that we do it is unique, is that we don't just work with CEOs, because in my view, in my experience, my with with myself included, is that the CEO or the owner of the business, remote or otherwise, has a really limited view. You're the one person who doesn't know what it's like to work for you, right? Yeah. It's a, you know, it's sort of this obvious, you know, slap your head in the forehead, your self in the forehead thing. You're the one person who doesn't know what it's like to work for you. So we work with other layers in an organization. We work with the senior team. We work with as many layers of the organization as a CEO will let us work with. And we have some CEOs, really brave, awesome people who say, hey, I want, I want to know, I want to know what I'm doing so that I can change it. And the fastest way to find out what you're doing is to let somebody else talk to your people. And that's what we do. So we sort of, we give people organizations and I'm thinking of one organization that I work with that has, I think 40, between 30 and 40 people all remote. And uh, we work with four different layers in the organization to be, so that we can surface that data. So we can get those themes and patterns out and we can help the leader make the really difficult changes that, that they need to make, that leaders want to make, right? A leader will come to a consultant or coach and say, I really want to change. I really want to grow but they're not operating with the right data set. 
we got to know we somebody else has to be able to say, hey, well, in talking with your team, here's what I think is going on. Here's what I think they're experiencing that they're that they're afraid to tell you. Do you want to know what that is? I want to know what that is. I know you, Tom, you would want to know what that is, right? Yeah. But, but you have to create a structure for that. You know, OK, so I'm curious about this. Like, is there any other way that you can kind of you can you can embrace that before it gets to that point where you have to have like um, an outside source come in? Yeah. To find this stuff out. Like, I'm curious, how do I implement that like immediately? You ask questions and you, there, there's two ways. One is external, one's internal. So one is you ask questions you, and, and not stupid questions like, hey guys, I want you to tell me what I could do to make things better here, right? Like that's the kind of stupid questions that managers and leaders ask all, ask all the time. That's like, you go to, you know, you call up AT&T and they say, you know, how can I provide you with excellent service today? Well, you just failed, right? Because you, <laughs> you weren't, li I don't know if it's AT&T, but whoever says that, you just failed because you're not listening, right? It means you're not listening. If you have to ask how it can be better, it means you're not listening. So the first thing is asking provocative questions, asking, you know, we have some quizzes that people can download on our website and go to refound.com and, you know, we'll, and, and we'll put some links maybe in the show notes to some yeah. quizzes to, to give, ask people questions like, what's the thing you hate most about your job, right? What's the thing that we do that you think is most frustrating to our customers that you think we should fix? If you could change one thing about this company, putting aside what you think I would think about it, what would you do? Right. Yeah, but so those are, so there's a bunch of questions you can ask, but, and here's the asterisk, if they're afraid of you, they're not going to answer the questions. Right. right. They're not, even if they're afraid of you in a subtle way. And guess what? If you hold their paycheck in their, in your hands, they're afraid of you. I don't care how nice you think you are. I don't care how conscious you think you are. I don't care how well, how compassionate or open hearted or how many ping pong tables you have. They're afraid of you because you have the power to take away dinner on Friday night. Yeah. So, so, and I think that's a real crime. That's a crime that I see happening in modern, I'll call it, I don't know if it's modern, but a lot of the organizational and structural thinking is, oh, we're all on the same team. Bullshit. You're not on the same team. You're the boss. You're the controlling shareholder. You get to decide. Stop pretending yep. and, inha and inhabit a role of authority that you're actually in. They know you're in. You know you're in. Stop playing games. So that's the first one. But, nice. and so the other piece of that is to be vulnerable and that's one of those things like, you know, world's worst advice, go be yourself, right? How, who, which version, right? So the question is, well, what does vulnerability look like? Vulnerability looks like you showing them, you know, people say like, I'll give you an example of, you know, people talk about, well, this is our brand and this is the customer experience that I want us to create. Managers and leaders talk about this stuff till they're blue in the face. I want leaders and managers to say, here's what our brand is supposed to be happen. And here's how I failed yesterday with a really important client. Here's how I did it wrong. And I want you guys to know how I did it wrong. And I'm embarrassed how I responded to that email or how it took me three days to respond to something and I should have responded to the same day. I'm embarrassed and, and I want something different for us, but I want you to know I'm working on the exact same issues that you are. That's how you create a culture of accountability is, you know, easy thing to say, walk your talk, really hard to do. But the things that are hardest to do are the things that are of the most value. Interesting. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Do you guys do you encourage like any sort of like consistent uh, or 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 intermittent like um, type of reviews? Um, so like yeah. one of the things I, I want to try to start doing is like kind of I don't know if I integrate this weekly or what. We have a really small team though. I mean mm -hmm. like five or something like that. Sure. But I do think this stuff is really important. And so I'm wondering like if there's some way to integrate this into we don't do meetings often like we do like once a week basically right now mm -hmm. um if there's a way to integrate this 
into the conversation for smaller teams. And if there's like, if it maybe it is this quiz, these or these questions you're asking, but I'm just curious if there's a way to position that and kind of integrate it for smaller teams. Absolutely. So, so first I would change, not necessarily change. You may think of this already, but so let's say you've got five people. I would imagine yourself as, you know, you're managing a team of five within a thousand person organization, mm. right? You're, or, or, or a hundred person organization, even if you have no desire or intention to ever get that big, I want you to think of your orientation as I'm, it's not just, I'm not just owning this business, which you are right, but you're also a manager of this team. Right. And so if you were a manager of a team in, let's say there were 50 or 100 people in the organization, you would have a weekly meeting or you should have a weekly meeting with everybody on the team to talk about things that have nothing to do with tasks and projects. So that's the first thing that I would recommend that you do, even if it starts, even if you only can start with 15 minutes or half an hour. You introduce, say, hey, guys, this is something that I want to do as part of our culture. I want to make sure that every week, everybody, we get it, especially because we're remote. We're going to spend a half an hour. I know it sounds like a lot. It's not. We're going to, you're going to see how amazing it is. But we're going to meet. I want to meet with each one of you individually for a half an hour to talk about anything other than the tasks that are in your Asana project or whatever your task management software is, right? I want to, we're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about themes. We're going to talk about where do you want to go in your career? We're going to talk about you know, what's important to you about what's going on in the world right now, right? We're going to talk about... you know. How, how, you know, we're going to talk about whatever is relevant, not, we're not doing therapy. We're not, you know, talking about what happened to you when you were a teenager. We're not going there, right? (laughs) That's not, that's out of bounds, but there's a lot of stuff that isn't out of bounds. Like, you know, that you can sense and you can, Hey, it sounds like, you know, you, you said you, so you felt kind of inspired for a while and you seem kind of down on things lately. It's fine. I get down on on things sometimes too, but I just wanted to talk about that. Right. And the biggest mistake managers make, especially in a remote climate, is it's so easy to default to tasks and projects. So you've got to make the structure. You say, this is no task time, right? This is a half an hour that's a personal conversation between you and this other person where you're going to work on helping them grow. And by you helping them grow, you're going to grow in the process. Mm, that's really good. And this is, so this is now, is it important then that these, these are one-on-one? Yes, absolutely. One-on-one okay. meetings. And then uh, do, you, do you think there's, do you think it's re- like, what are your thoughts on if, if we were to do something in this, I'm, I'm saying this is like, a, yeah, I'm getting free consulting here. So <laughs> this great. is like hypothetical, but like implementing, you know, questions like, do you like at the end of a week or something like that, are there ways to look at like, cause in the army, we always did AARs after action reviews mm. and we looked at sustains and pr- we, we always, it always starts with what was supposed to happen, what did happen, sustains and proves. Mm, nice. So I like to use that system a lot with our projects and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I also want to do like kind of progressive improvement of yeah. of what we do as well. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm just curious if you have any, any particular thoughts on like beyond the one-on-one calls and just having just totally off, uh, like not off topic, but just off the task, to, you know, topics, how mm-hmm. you might be able to integrate um, with your team, like uh, certain questions that, that can get them to, to give you honest feedback. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think there, there's always going to be an embedded challenge in there in terms of the honest part of the honest right. feedback. But I mean, I'll tell you, you know, uh, the folks over at 15.5 have a great tool. It's pretty affordable. I think it's, mm. I don't know what it is right now, but I think it's five bucks a user, maybe something like that um, per month. Um, it's a neat tool and they, they'll give you some sort of out of the box questions you can ask and then you can customize them. And they were doing some things with kind of OKRs and I don't, I'm not sure what that is. I have, I'm not using their tool right now, uh, but that they're they're really great folks and a really great team. Really care about these kinds of issues, 
And that it's a great little tool. It doesn't take the place of the half hour, but it's a really nice supplement to it to kind of track some things and kind of see things going plus or minus uh, in the right direction and keep it front of mind. So people, again, it gives people a frame where they mm. can think about it for themselves when they're not in that one-on-one -on -one meeting with you. Like, hmm, what, how does this relate to that conversation I had with Tom on Tuesday? Oh, wow, this is actually, this project is really connected to that theme. And that's a really important uh, part of, le of a leadership dynamic is to create spaces and encourage people to think about the things that you talk about with them when you're not around. Because it's hard when your boss is around, right? You mm -hmm. feel under pressure. You feel like you got to have the right answer. Mm -hmm. And so a tool like that. And there may, there may be others, but 15.5 is one that I know that's a, it's a really solid tool. Yeah, I'm checking it out right now. This is pretty cool. I think I had heard of it. But yeah, this, this seems really interesting. Great stuff. So hey, so let's get to, if we have the time, um, are you still good? Maybe have enough, maybe about 10 yeah, more minutes. You bet. Awesome. So talk about this. We had mentioned in the beginning, this trickle down transformation. So like obviously large organizations, I, I, I'm sure that's even more challenging, but, but I know there's truth to this, you know, smaller or large. So talk to us a little bit about that. How does it work? How, when doesn't it work? And so on and so forth. Yeah. Well, so the, we've been talking about it a, a little bit in some way, which is that there's this, there's an idea and it's so deeply embedded in our culture and it comes from, some our relationship to authority and our and our our projection on what we think the CEO is and isn't capable of. There's a great book. Uh, I actually am in the middle of it now. I haven't finished it. I think it's called The End of Power. I don't have it in front of me by Mois, uh, Moses Naim. I think is his name. Yeah. And um, it, talking about you know the, the 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 CEO can only do so much, right? We talked a little bit about the limited view that the CEO has, but the coaching and consulting industry, which is the industry that I come out of, which I'm trying to break in a, in a helpful way, uh, is that the, the, there's this idea that you're going to take the CEO, you're going to drop that he or she into a coaching call with a coach, even a really good coach. And you're going to put these people in a room and that's somehow going to, whatever happens there, let's assume even some good things happen there, that you're going to then put that person back into their company, whether it's five people or 500 or 5,000. And that the benefits of that coaching conversation are going to trickle down into the rest of the organization. And it mostly doesn't work. It's not that it doesn't work at all, but it mostly doesn't work. And it's slow and it's expensive. And there's a lot of reasons why it doesn't work, right? But it's like, one, the CEO has a limited view. The CEO takes a limited view, like we talked about before. The CEO doesn't know what it's like to really work there. The CEO takes that limited view, goes into the coach's office or consultant's office or meeting, whatever, or, or you know, entrepreneur, you know, whatever, peer group, whatever, whatever you have, takes that limited view and then introduces another limited view, which is the coach's limited view, who also doesn't work there, who also doesn't know what it's like. They have a conversation in a relative vacuum. They make a bunch of decisions about, well, what's the right thing? What's the best thing? And then they impose those decisions on the organization. I don't know if you've ever worked in a larger organization. Well, in the army, you've probably, you've probably experienced this. Oh, oh, here's the leadership idea of the month, right? Here's the new yep. tactic that, right? This happens over and over again. It's exhausting. If you want to know why teams are burned out and overwhelmed, this is a big part of the reason why, is that there, there's a constant barrage of, uh-oh, here's this month's big idea from the boss. And oh, by the way, oh, right, I know he's working with that coach or consultant. Here it comes down the pipe. Now we have to do this thing. And now we have to, you know, go to the park and do this exercise or whatever, you know, whatever the flavor of the month mm -hmm. is, right? But it's not about them. It's not about the people who work there. It's some idea that was hatched in the lab between the coach or the consultant and the boss out of context. Mm. That's, that's trickle-down transformation. And that's why it doesn't work. It's out of context mm. of the real lives of the people who are in that organization, regardless of the size of the organization. Interesting. So, okay, so then what's the alternative? 
The alternative is some of the stuff we've been talking about. So real time, real time feedback, Mm. getting getting outside perspective. Right. So Mm -hmm. there, you know, in an ideal world, HR would do some of this. HR doesn't do any of this, even in the the best (laughs) art, you know, like HR should. This is what HR should be doing. And a lot of times when we joke around my business partner, Joseph, and we say, well, we let people outsource HR, the real HR, like the stuff that if HR was doing its job, this is what it should be doing. And no offense to there's a lot of good hearted people in the HR space. They're mostly disempowered. They mostly don't have the authority that they should have. Right. But the kinds of conversations that you need to have with somebody else that's not your boss, you need a vehicle. If you're a manager, if you're anybody but the CEO and you're the CEO included, but everybody else, they need somebody to talk to who's structurally outside the day-to-day projects, the day-to-day operations, the things that are happening on the ground. They need somebody else to talk to. It's the difference between the authority and an authority. So you could call it a mentor. You could call it a coach. You could call it advisor. I don't care what you call it. You call it your uncle. Whatever you want to call it. You got to have somebody who can help you see where you are relative to the dynamics of the organization that you're a part of. And that's that's part of the solution. You can do that on your own, right? You can engage, but make it a conscious agreement. Don't just go to your friend and say, hey, I want to, you know, and, and complain over a beer every Friday night. Find somebody and say, hey, I want to make a meeting with you. And I want to talk to you about, and I want you to be my mentor. If you can't afford a mentor, great. So who, who cares? Find somebody, a friend who's willing to play this role for you and say, hey, I want, I want to talk to somebody outside my business every week, once a week for half an hour. And I'll do, you know, I'll come mow your lawn, whatever it is, right? I will do a trade. But get somebody's agreement that they're going to reflect back to you themes. They're going to say, hey, well, that's, you raised that last week. Well, didn't you say you were going to do something about that? What didn't, why didn't you do something about it, right? You got to build those structures into your life. We do that as a professional service, uh, but you can do it on your own for free. That's awesome. Very cool. Okay, so now let's talk, if we have a little bit more time, uh, briefly about, I want, I'm want. i really curious about your new book. So, oh, Good Authority, uh, and I love the subtitle, How to Become the Leader Your Team is Waiting For. So tell us a little bit about this. What's the Where does this come from? What's the inspiration, and uh, and why are you writing and publishing it now? Yeah, thanks. Uh, you know, the, the book came out of my own uh, failures as a manager and as a leader, and, you know, I was doing a lot of good things in my tenure as the CEO of Emith and uh, you know, it was, a, it was a difficult, you know, moving, getting a big organization to make changes is a difficult, uh, difficult endeavor. But what I discovered after a couple of years was that there was something that I was talking about, but I wasn't really doing. I was talking about mentoring. I was talking about making our culture more about the people than about the business, but I wasn't actually doing it. And I didn't realize that I wasn't doing it until some, there were some, a couple of employees who we had to let go and I realized that I had done them a disservice. I didn't really show up with the kind of mentoring and, and skill building and the kind of training that, you know, roll up your sleeves, really caring about another person, you know, gritty stuff that makes a great manager. And I wasn't doing it. And I didn't know I wasn't doing it. I, if, you, if anybody asked me, I would have said that I was. And I woke up one day in you know, a painful situation of letting a guy go and realizing, wow, I really failed him as his manager and deciding to do something about it. And over the years that followed, and then when I started to, when I launched Refound was, okay, I, I want to, you know, one of the things that people who are great at what they do, if you ask them, well, how do you do what you do? Uh, they don't know. They can't tell you. If I asked you, Tom, what are you, how are you, know, how are you great at what you do? Well, you don't really know. You just know how to do it. Right. And right. this, and then becoming a mentor and a manager was something that I had some intuitive skills on. But I thought, well, I wonder if I could teach this stuff, right? I wonder if I could. And I thought, well, there's no way. How am I going to teach somebody how to have an accountability conversation and how to turn up the heat 
from you know zero to sixty without you know without losing you know losing their team. And I and I didn't think that I could do it, to be honest. But you know, with the help of my business partner, we figured out a way to create a structure. And that's what the book is really about: is about what are the changes that you have to make as a leader to stop doing trickle down transformation. How do you make? We have this pivot, which we call more Yoda, less Superman. How do you stop being Superman in your organization? Stop putting out fires. Stop being the one who saves the day all the time, and make a pivot to a Yoda-like sort of mentor quality where you're asking questions and empowering people, which is a lot easier said than done. And then oh, some tactical steps that you can take, how to actually have these conversations. There's a lot of dialogue. There are a lot of examples. Uh, there's a lot of very practical takeaways in the third part of the book. And so the inspiration was really to, to put out a, a, a conversation, to really start a conversation, hopefully, that people can pick up and, and get that there's a way that we haven't tried. I feel like we've tried everything else, uh, but we haven't really tried as an as a as a team of leaders around the world, and that includes parents, you know, kids soccer team coaches, nonprofit organizations, and and, and Fortune 500 CEOs. We've never really tried. What if we change the assumption? What if we say, hey, the deepest purpose of an organization is to improve the lives of the people who work there, not the stockholders, not even the customers but the employees, what would that world look like? And that's what the book is about. Awesome. I'll definitely be ordering that and uh, giving it a read as soon as I get my hands on it. it sounds amazing. Jonathan, thank you so much for the insightful uh, conversation. I think this is really good stuff. And for anybody who is on a team or, and I think most people are a part of a team of some sort, um, yeah. I think this is relevant too. It doesn't, doesn't just have to be if you're, you know, if you're the boss. I think it's I think it's important too if you're an employer, you're part of a team to be able to kind of communicate these things and kind of improve from the bottom up too, to be honest. I know that's probably easier said than done, but hopefully uh, people can take that as well and use it. But Jonathan, I did want to say thank you so much for being on the call with us today and, and sharing your wisdom. It was great. Thanks, Tom. I really appreciate the opportunity. And people can find you at refound.com? Yes. Awesome. And the book, one last time, is refound.com slash good authority, and they should be able to get their copy, correct? That's right. And they can also go to theculturecourse.com, which is a free video leadership course that we put together uh, that you know comes out in a drip periodically. It's not, a, not an overwhelming thing in your inbox, but a free video leadership course that talks about some of these ideas. Awesome. Making a note of it, and that'll be definitely in the show notes. All right, Jonathan. Well, thank you so much for being on the call. It was great. Thanks, Tom. Have a good one. And that wraps up another broadcast of In the Trenches. If you'd like to check out the show notes, just head over to tommorcus.com slash podcast, where you'll find the latest broadcast. And if you enjoyed today's broadcast, please do me a favor and leave a rating and review on iTunes. That's the fastest, simplest, easiest way to support my creative work, and it would really mean a lot to me. As always, this is Tom Morcus, and if you're listening to this, you are the resistance.